Hello everyone, this is Giri and I'm very excited once again to welcome you all to another episode of the Testing Paradise podcast. Today we are airing the 10th episode of our podcast and I would like to thank you all for supporting this channel and I must admit that it's just because of you why we are here today. Without any ado, let's get into today's topic, SpecFlow and BDD. So today, we are super excited to interview the creator of SpecFlow, Gaspar Nagy. <laughs> Gaspar is the creator of SpecFlow. He is a regular conference speaker, blogger, editor of BDD Addict Monthly Newsletter and co-authored books on behavior-driven development. He works as an independent coach, trainer and test automation expert focusing on helping teams implementing BDD and SpecFlow. He has more than 20 years of experience in enterprise software development as he worked as an architect and agile developer coach. He has been a training provider of Agile Testing Fellowship since 2018. Gaspar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation and hello everyone. Many people have different perceptions about behavior-driven development. So what is your view on it? That's a very good question and, and also a very tricky question in the same, uh, at the same time, because uh, I think BDD can be seen from multiple different perspectives. Uh, uh, for me, when I learned about BDD and when I started to use BDD in my projects, uh, I have seen BDD as a kind of practical framework that helps me to utilize those goodnesses of, of, of in the agile landscape that people have figured out even probably much earlier than, than BDD is, but, but, it, but it's not so easy to, to practice them in a daily basis. So yes, we know about user stories. Yes, we know about that examples can help the specification. Yes, we know about automated tests, but but if I need to start working on that tomorrow and I would like to implement a new feature this way, then, then a little bit more guidance is, is useful for that. And BDD gives you that guidance. So basically it just turns these, these, these great concepts into a, into a practical uh, 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 practice or practical process. And so that's, that's how I see that. But, uh, but but obviously because of this uh many people are also see that as a as a very important quality assurance practice because together with that and because of all the elements that that basically bdd is uh is combining uh altogether it has a very good impact on the on the on the product quality or the project quality that that we are that that we develop so i think that's a very useful and and, and valuable technique for that great Three Amigos session is one of the main event that should happen during the behavior driven development. So what exactly should happen? Who should participate? And what is the outcome of that particular session? So it's a very good question. And it's very good that you haven't started with the, with the question that, okay, how should I automate my spec flow scenarios? Because typically automating spec flow scenarios is the end of the story. And, uh, and right. obviously you can just do automation as well, but, but to get really the, 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 the full benefits of BDD, you should, at the time when you start talking about the requirements, start talking about the details of the user story that we are going to implement, maybe in the next sprint or, or in the sprint after, we should already start thinking in a in a in a in a way that uh, that it should be 
focusing on examples and trying to have a better understanding of the requirements in general, because altogether then, then, then the entire process will be much better and much more smooth. And the, and the, the concept of three amigos and the concept of example-based specification or specification by example is very important here. Basically, the, when, when people say three amigos, it's a little bit misleading because somehow people think that this means that three people have to sit together and, uh, and they need to discuss the things together. However, I think three amigos, the most important part of three amigos is that we have to make a conversation about the requirements in a way that multiple different roles, multiple different aspects of the delivery team or multiple different uh, 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 elements of that are, are represented. So not only the developers, not only the testers, not only the business, not only the UX or whoever else is in your team, but we are all together uh, discussing about the requirements. And the discussion and collaboration is a very important aspect of that because I think many of of the listeners have, have been attended to agile meetings where everyone was there physically or, or maybe in an online meeting. However, still the conversation was a one directional conversation so that uh, the product owner was explaining what to do and the others were basically passive listeners. That's not enough. That's, that doesn't give you that impact. So in the three amigos, they are amigos, they are friends of each other. They are talking to each other and they are equal in, a, in, in this conversation. And that's that's very important to um, uh, to have a good and and shared understanding, so that basically to ensure that everyone is understanding the requirements in the same way. That's uh, that's probably the, the the most important outcome of these discussions. So what I understand is the outcome of three amigos session will always be an acceptance criteria. Uh, yes, I I don't like to use this term acceptance criteria because it turns out that every project has a slightly different meaning of what an acceptance criteria is. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, but in, in general, we can say that the, the outcome is the shared understanding. And in practice, that means that we are, we are agreeing on those key rules, key criteria, key conditions that we would like to have the system satisfying, that you can call them acceptance criteria. Plus, we are also making sure that we are all understanding these conditions in the same way. And the best way to, to have this shared, uh, this, this, this shared understanding or the, to, to make sure that we are understanding it in the same way, if we have a few examples for each that is basically illustrating what did we mean on that particular rule. Uh, so in the classic agile terminology, that would be the acceptance criteria and the acceptance test. In, in BDD, we, we like to call these just simply rules and examples because that's, that has less attached meaning uh, to that. So it's a, it's a more kind of a, a clean page. So, but, but essentially, yes, at the end of those meetings, you will have a couple of rules that has to be fulfilled by the solution. And each rule is illustrated with a few examples just to make sure that we are understanding them in the same way. Cool. Uh, can you tell us about a couple of, uh, you know, uh, practical problems you have faced while you try to convince any organizations to adopt BDD? Mm -hmm. As far as I have seen, the projects are quite different and, uh, and it's very hard to find any, any common problems. Or maybe there are common problems, but, uh, but, but, but each organization has its own challenges. And, and, and basically what I have seen was that the easiest way to find the best way to 
to, to bring in BDDs to, to understand what their challenges are and try to see whether BDD can help on those. And uh, I think a typical challenge that, that many teams have is that, uh, that, that we are always trying to improve the efficiency of the, of the, of the, of the delivery. That's very clear. That's also very easy to understand for the business side. That's also very easy to understand for the, for the, for the delivery people. Uh, and, and probably if you have ever tried that, then you can see that, that improving efficiency is not really easy because, because you cannot force people to work more or long-term it, it's not really helping, uh, um, environmental improvements. Yes, they, they are good, but that they are not, not, uh, uh, not, not so drastical. And I think the, the concept that I like the most is basically which is the same as the the concept of this lean kanban way of thinking that instead of trying to do what we are doing the be you know a little bit better instead of that we should try to see whether we are doing anything that wouldn't be necessary to do so whether there is any waste in our production pipeline and thinking in waste and trying to identify what kind of things we are doing unnecessarily that's typically a good starting point and that's something that that all of the participants can easily understand. So it's easy to understand for the business that if you are not doing something that is unnecessary, then altogether it will cost less. And it's also better for the team as well, because doing unnecessary thing is not motivating. If you have to throw out or change the thing that you have already done, that's, 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 that's not good. And, uh, that's a good starting point. And, and if you do that, and if you are trying to analyze what, uh, what kind of how, how your sprint deliveries were, have been done in the past, then probably what you will see is that, uh, that we need to make a lot of changes. Uh, I think if you think about a, a usual sprint review meeting or sprint demo meeting, it's very, very rare that the product owner is just looking at your solution and say that, yes, great, ship it. The, the typical response or the typical feedback is that, yes, this is good, or this is in the right direction, but actually I thought that this will be this, this, this way. So that's, that's, the, that's the usual response. And what that means that actually we were doing something which was not the right thing. Maybe we were done it right. We have done it right. So it, it was technically a good solution, but it wasn't solving the right problem. And what it means that then in the next sprint, we have to make some changes and we have to do a, a, some sort of double work. However, and, and, and basically what we would need to do is that, that those questions that are popping up during the demo meeting, those questions that are popping up, or popping up while you are delivering or while you are coding down or testing the, the, the project, those questions we would like to get answered earlier. And that's, uh, that that's something that that leads us to this this kind of three amigo session or 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 a specification by example workshop that we were talking about so that that what we what we can do with bdd and i think that's one, one of the most important benefit that's that's usually easy to understand by everyone is that uh, we would like to have a better understanding of the requirements so that once we are starting to code that down then then we should do it right immediately so that's that's definitely one thing that I, I I like, but obviously many teams also have a test automation challenges as well. Test automation is is still in a in an adaption phase, so it's it's not a of, right now. I think all of the projects have some sort of test automation, but but they are but everyone is really trying to find their their way uh, to to have better test automation, and and there 
are also usual challenges that 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 you are just uh, creating a lot of automated tests that's just one thing but making them useful making them useful long term that's a little bit harder i guess i personally i have definitely have uh, experienced uh, things like uh, that half a year later basically we are spending more time on fixing the integration tests than fixing the code that's 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 not good that that means that, it, that the tests are not helping us but holding us back and and then soon later someone will delete them or just put an ignore flag on that which is which is basically losing the investments that we have done and any kind of structured guidance how to do automated tests and i think bdd is giving you a very good structured guidance because it just connects your automated test to the original requirement so it's much easier to to say that which tests make sense and why they make sense is is also useful and if the 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 project is committed to do automated tests uh, then 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 basically that's also easy to see that that if we are anyway want to do automated tests why not do it better that's uh that's another approach that 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 probably common in many projects oh okay uh, there is one problem that i'm currently facing gasper so say for example like the business analysts will be writing their uh, you know uh, requirements in gwt format in jira right now uh, as a tester when i'm trying to automate it i'm just going to take the same dsl gherkin formatted requirements into my spec flow and then i will be doing my automation now let's assume down the line after two or three sprints if there is a change that is going to happen to that particular uh, user story right uh, so the developer sorry the business analyst will get into that particular jira story and he will be changing it and the problem is uh without telling to the testers there is a chance that they might change it in the uh, the bas can change it in the jira as well so in that case there is a huge mismatch right the testers will not be getting an update on what is happening so how to handle these kind of you know uh, issues mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think the best is if we are always knowing that what is the single source of truth in terms of these are not only tests. This is the, this is our specification. This is our agreement how we wanted to implement this thing. So, what is the what is the single source of truth for for this uh, for these requirements? And while in the preparation phase of the story, it is absolutely fine to use Jira or Azure DevOps or whatever else as the editing platform for these. But once the story is implemented, so once it turns into the code, I I like to keep these the, the the feature files the gherkin files as the as the single source of truth which means that whenever there is a change that change should uh should basically be related to that or uh, that change to should should target that that version of the uh, of the specification which is a little bit hard because at one time you have to work on Jira, another time you have to work on the on the on the feature file so so you have to resolve that uh uh with a few of my clients where I'm, I'm in a closer relationship with, uh, uh, for example, we are using, a, I have a small synchronization tool which can synchronize back to Azure DevOps, the, the feature files. So, so basically they are always showing the same, uh, same version once, once it's in the implementation phase and then it's less confusing. Uh, so you have to, then there are some toolings also for, for Jira as well, probably. Uh, basically, you have to you have to you have to figure out how this can be done in a in the in the most convenient way. But but definitely, what the situation that you have you have mentioned that uh, that uh, they are still modifying the the 
the, the scenarios in, in Jira. And in the meanwhile, the automation is going on. That's not, not very useful, especially because while you are automating those scenarios, it is, is anyway sometimes needed. So you, you need to make some smaller modifications to make, to make it easier to automate, uh, anyway. So, um, of course, keeping the original intention and the original readability, but, but maybe you are just splitting up two steps, two steps into one or merging two steps into one on, or splitting up one uh, bigger one into two smaller ones. That's, that's, these are absolutely harmless modifications, unless somebody is still modifying the original version as well. Uh, so that's, that's, that's what we are doing usually. What, what is also an interesting side question of that, that, that how early you should write really given when dense, because definitely we need the examples and we need, to, because that's what we need for discussing and having this shared understanding that we mentioned earlier. Right. But the question is that whether at that stage, is it, does it make sense to keep these examples using the given when then format or something which is even more lightweight to that? Uh, and, uh, and I like to do example mapping. So I, with, with my projects and in example mapping, we are, I mean, it's not mandatory, but, uh, what, what we are, what we're really trying and, and what works really well is that during the example mapping, during this, uh, this, uh, this discussion where we are collecting the, exa the examples, we don't bother with the given and dance, don't bother with the perfect phrasing of that. We are just basically keeping these examples in a bullet point style that, okay, the customer logs in, something happens, something happens, and this is the outcome. And then once we have the good agreement on that, uh, somebody sits down and, and turns it into perfect given when then, and then basically this is just, a, again, just a small optimization that, uh, that we are not spending the time when we are together, uh, with, with word ordering and grammar tenses and such kind of issues, but we can really focus on the, on the real meaning of the things. Cool. So what is Specflow and who should use it? So Specflow is basically a, a tool which is supports, which supports the BDD process on Microsoft.net. Uh, in this way, Specflow is basically a port of Cucumber. Uh, I did Specflow in a way that, that before that I was trying to use Cucumber for .NET, but because of the technical limitations, it wasn't that easy. And I wanted to make something which is working, works similarly to Cucumber. Uh, Justin.net. So if you have learned about Cucumber, then you will be very, it will be very easy to, for you to learn Specflow or vice versa. So the, the core concepts are, are basically the same. Mm -hmm. The specification language is the same. It's even this exact same parser is parsing it. If you are using Specflow or Cucumber, so everything which is, uh, grammatically correct, uh, given when then should be also fine, uh, uh with the, with, with Specflow as well. And, uh, yeah, so, and, and basically Specflow, uh, is a test automation tool from this perspective. So basically it, it provides you a way, uh, to, um, to, to back up the, these scenarios with, with automation code so that you can verify, uh, whether your application is really fulfilling those expectations or not. Cool. Uh, can you, can you tell us about a different uh, set of ecosystems from Specflow? This is also very useful. Before you ask, answering the question, I want to highlight that I mentioned that the specification language is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a very good thing because, uh, tooling can be improved, uh, 
independently of the platform. So, so nowadays you will see more and more tools coming that are supporting the general Gherkin format and, and you can use them with Specflow, you can use them with Cucumber and many projects are already using multiple tools. So maybe if you have a JavaScript frontend, then you will use Cucumber.js for that. But if you have a .NET Core backend, then you will use Specflow for that. And, and still you can use the same tooling for maybe uh, uh, displaying or, 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 or editing the, the feature file. So, so that's the, uh, that, that shared language is basically a uh, uh, good, uh, positive influencing the, uh, the, the, the tool vendors uh, to do. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an independent coach and trainer, so I'm not really uh, uh, working closely together with any of these vendors, but I'm always trying to, to watch what they are doing and, uh, and, and uh, probably some of you have heard about that uh, that the cucumber team has been has been acquired by or visited by by uh, smart bear the specflow team is now joined uh, tricentis so now there are also bigger companies backing up them and uh, which is very very important because because especially for tooling some sort of uh, financial background or, or big company behind is is very useful and uh, and now all of these these companies and many others are are are, uh, are creating new um, uh, tools for that. Particularly for Specflow, uh, if you have uh, if you just Google for Specflow, you see something uh, uh, a set of tools called which is, which are under the umbrella of Specflow Plus or something like that. Basically, these are extensions for for Specflow. Now they are maintained uh, by Tricentis. Those are not open source tools, but they are free. So, uh, so Tricent um, uh, is basically made them them all free. So it's uh, it's easy to use all of them, and and they have different tools. Basically, there are two areas uh, of tools that uh, that you can uh, check there or you can find there. There is a test execution tool which is called Specflow Plus Runner, uh, which is basically giving you a, a few additional features for test execution. Uh, for test execution, typically Specflow users are using one of the open source uh, or, or free uh, test runner frameworks like NUnit, XUnit, or or MS Test. These are these are basically uh, working uh, with Specflow, and uh, and the Specflow Plus runner plus adds a little bit of uh, additional features, especially for those cases where 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 it's complex integration tests has to have to be done. Uh, so that's that's what Specflow Plus Runner does. Uh, right now, the the other tooling, so the uh, the the other testing frameworks have been developed a lot since then. So uh, some of the some of the uh, special unique features of of the Specflow Plus Runner now also in in NUnit or XUnit. Anyway, how that's that's an option. That's a free option, and uh, and makes sense to check that out and see whether it 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 helps you or not. So that's that's one aspect of the thing. But the, I think the even more interesting or more uh, exciting aspect is that uh, how should we how should we present the results uh, to the business? Because it's one thing to have a good discussion and the shared understanding of the requirements. It's another thing to have automated tests for that. But if these the results of these automated tests or the or the created scenarios are somewhere hidden, then then basically this. Uh, that they don't become the documentation or the shared agreement of the uh, of the product but but if if you if you make them well accessible then they become a this special kind of documentation some people call it cause it's a living documentation living documentation means that it's a documentation that is 
that can be verifying itself or or basically it can turn red or green depending on whether the application is really doing that so it can never outdate or once it's outdating then, then you immediately see the feedback uh, so it's very valuable and cheap documentation you don't have to do an extra effort of documenting anything and then updating that documenting updating that documentation but it comes for free and but but for that you have to make that accessible and uh and there are some 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 tools for that. This Specflow plus Living Doc uh, toolset again. This is part of their their the the the, the, the services of, of Tricensities. That's uh, that's uh, basically there are two op two versions of that. One is uh, is integrating into Azure DevOps, and basically you can see your uh, your um, feature files, searchable feature files, in Azure DevOps. And the other is is basically standalone that works with any kind of tooling. That's uh, that's something that can be integrated into your build pipeline. Basically, it's an extra step of your build pipeline. That once the 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 tests are executed, basically it collects uh, or generates a, a dynamic HTML file of that, which you can publish anywhere. And basically, you can just share that link uh, with your colleagues, with your stakeholders, and they can always see that uh, which scenarios are passing where do you stand it's a, it's also a very good traceability and uh, and and change tracking or or progress tracking tool as well so that you see that okay this user story had has defined 10 scenarios and uh, six of them is already green that means that that we are progressing well with the with the with the user story and probably we will be able to finish by the end of the sprint so this is a these are all very useful information uh, also for the for the business or or for the for the product owners so that's uh, that's the Specflow plus Living Doc. As I said, uh, there are other features as well. But just to mention other things as well, so the uh, uh, Smart Bear also has something uh, similar, a little bit different approach. Their tool is called Cucumber Studio, but Cucumber Studio can also be used with Specflow because uh -huh. of the shared format. And mm -hmm. basically that one, at least in the current version, that's more focusing on the on the collaborative editing experience so that people can comment the, the scenarios there and say that, hey, I want to change this, just getting back to, to the to the scenario that you have mentioned. And and then then you can basically have a, a have a discussion or or uh, some sort of uh, uh, modification process for those scenarios. Cool. We were talking about the living documentations, right, Casper? So what is the importance of living documentation? I think this the the importance of that um, is is probably something that you might not be able to see at the first day. Because because there on the first day everyone is still remembering what we agreed on. But the interesting thing comes uh, half a year later or a couple of months later, and probably all of you have uh, have experienced that that half a year later, even though that if you have been coding down that thing, you won't necessarily remember how it was working. And uh, and if if there is a change request or even an idea of a change request, so it's it's not even yet a change request. Just we are thinking about how we could improve or whether it would be easy or not not to to implement that kind of things. Uh, you need to go back to the code and somehow reverse engineer how the thing was working. And uh, or you can go down to if you have unit tests, you can go down to unit tests, but that's typically too low level. So then you would need to review uh, quite many unit tests and, and, and they are not really describing the requirements directly, but they are describing the, the specification of the technical units. So that's that's not that useful. Uh, however, uh, 
having a having a, a documentation which basically preserving what kind of agreements we made at that time in the original language so it's, it's still in the business language it's not not talking about classes and methods but it's talking about business terminology what kind of actions the user have done what kind of uh, entities uh, were working there uh, that 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 is very useful to to have such sort of uh, design and also very important uh, is the regression so so that uh, once we have a, a, a nice size uh, of, of of automated bdd scenarios then whenever you do something and you make a uh, an unwanted side effect, then it's much easier to understand uh, whether this is something that uh, that is a by design problem, this is a technical problem, or or or, or we just introduced the bug somewhere. So uh, those kind of uh, things are what are probably the the most important elements of uh, of the benefits of of living documentation. But but this is something that you have to learn how to use. So um, you have to you have to practice a little bit what kind of answers the living documentation can give to you and uh, and definitely you have to make it easily make easily accessible for anyone so if i have to do a git checkout open visual studio to be able to check that's that's too much then i will rather whatever try it out in the test server uh, but if it's just uh, one link and if i'm opening that i immediately get to the uh, good searchable results then 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 obviously uh, the value is much easier to uh, see wonderful is it a good practice for me to update the test results directly to uh, the living documentation or is it something like should i have a separate uh, you know reporting so what do you suggest casper of course this depends on uh, on the different staging and uh, and uh, and levels of setup that uh, that you have but uh, but but if there is a good main version of the product, which is uh, basically what, uh, what what we what we definitely want to get keep in a in a healthy stage, so all tests should be generally passing on that, mm -hmm. then then showing the result of that in the living documentation is 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 useful, and obviously you can make some alternations on that, so you can see that okay maybe this scenario is green on this trunk version, but maybe whatever it's having a failure. Uh, in one of the special environment, that's something that you can have. But uh, but having uh, such a quick indication of of the general health is useful, and uh, and it's a good starting point. And of course, this doesn't replace the need for a detailed test result uh, with all the all the all the all the detailed traces and and things like that. This is basically an entry point for those that uh, that where you can get a general feeling about the the health of the of the system excellent thank you so much once again for joining us today gaspar it was indeed a great session thank you thank you for inviting me